If you'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus. We'll really pick up in the 30th chapter, but I want to point out uh, some verses. You'll just see some temporary things in the 29th chapter. I mean, just very briefly. Uh, if you notice verse 14, it speaks of a sin offering. And in verse 18, it's a burnt offering. You see that in the 29th chapter? And in verse uh, 25, the it continues to talk about a burnt offering. And this has to be with a ram of consecration for the priest, Aaron. And in verse uh, 28, do you see the... Uh, sacrifice of their peace offerings. And then in verse 36, And thou shalt offer every day a bullock for a sin offering for atonement. This is a sin offering, but this is designated as atonement. <clears throat> and we'll read verse 42 and 43, <clears throat> or 42 through 45, I should say. <clears throat> this shall be a continual burnt offering, these, these lambs that are spoken of. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory, and I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office, and it says, And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will be their God. And uh, verse 46 says, And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. <clears throat> now, the reason I just mentioned briefly these offerings is because we'll shortly be through with the book of Exodus, and the book of Leviticus deals in detail with all the various offerings, the sin offering, the the uh, trespass offering, the peace offering, the whole burnt offerings, and all of these various things. And so we'll deal with them in the book of Leviticus because they're expanded there. And they're mentioned here in the book of Exodus, and of course they could be dealt with here. But we're basically, if you have this little chart of the, of the tabernacle, we're basically looking at these things on the tabernacle. And we've already talked about the, the gate out in the front of this court. We've talked about the brazen altar that you see immediately inside. We've talked about the candle, uh, golden candlestick and the table of showbread and the Ark of the Covenant inside. There's two things on this chart or this picture that we haven't dealt with. And one is the brazen labor, this round uh, bowl-looking uh, uh, piece of furniture, we'll call it, in the center of the picture. And it's uh, called the labor here, but it's actually a labor of brass. And then on the inside of the first part of the sanctuary there, you see a kind of a an altar that looks much like this pulpit. And it's a higher piece of furniture there, and it's called the golden altar of incense. And we haven't dealt with those two things in our study of the uh, to re remind us of the things of the tabernacle. And so in this 30th chapter, the first thing you see is the altar of incense. If you have chapter 30, verse 1. And we want to continue to talk about some of these things of the tabernacle. And if you remember, chapters 32 and 33 in the book of Exodus have to do with kind of a parenthesis or an in-between. Uh, Moses going up on the mount, getting the tables of the covenant, bringing them down, 
and uh, seeing that the children of Israel have broken the law, the commandments, and he breaks uh, the commandments and he takes their golden calf and grinds it to, to powder and uh, so on and so forth. And there's a lot of things there that's kind of a parenthesis in this book of Exodus. And then we return after that portion of Scripture and return back to the uh, same thing about the tabernacle, only you're taking it from a different direction. And what we've been studying is how God commanded Moses to construct all of these things. And then we study the actual taking of the materials and the construction and the same things over so we won't repeat the study of the tabernacle. We'll just deal with what we have here. Now then look at the 30th chapter, if you will, please. And we're talking about the altar of incense. And you see it in, on your picture, the golden altar of incense, because it is made of wood and covered with gold. Chapter 30, verse 1. <clears throat> and thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. So verse 1 says it's made of wood, and verse 3 says it's overlaid with gold. And remember in our teachings of the materials of the tabernacle, when we first gave you all of the various materials, gold, uh, the wood represents the humanity of Christ. And the gold represents the deity of Christ. And if you remember, I gave you a verse of Scripture to show you that all things of the tabernacle point to Christ and His glory and something about the office and the work of Christ. In uh, Psalm 29, verse 9, it says, In the temple, every bit, every whit, uttereth His glory. So all of these things are types and symbols and pictures of something that we find in the New Testament concerning Christ. And we gave you a verse of Scripture in the book of Hebrews showing you that all of these things, specifically about the tabernacle, were only a figure and a pattern of the things to come that we find fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you have that in the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews. And by the way, we said uh, earlier at one point in time in our teaching that, that you cannot thoroughly understand the New Testament without understanding some of these things in the Old Testament. And we read in Hebrews 9 where it speaks of these various things. And if you were just reading them in the New Testament and had never heard about them in the Old Testament, you'd say, Mom, what's all this about? But since you understand it, you say in the New Testament when you get there, well, they were pictures and patterns of things to come and a figure of the heavens uh, and Christ and His intercession in heaven. And there you are able to understand it. So, you find it's uh, made of wood and overlaid with gold. Verse 3. <clears throat> now then, verse 4. And two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it, and they shall be for the places for the staves to bear it withal. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, <clears throat> before the mercy seat, that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. Now this was an altar of sweet incense, or an altar to burn sweet incense upon. Every morning when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout, throughout your generations. It says... 
Ye shall offer no strange incense thereof, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. It was not an altar of sacrifice. It was not to have any strange incense offered thereupon, anything that just came up from the notion of men, but specifically what God directed. And in verse 10 says, And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering. You see out here at this brazen altar, you have the picture. There was a sin offering offered there once a year, and Aaron would go in there by this brazen labor after performing the the things, the cleansing he needed to perform there. He, and he'd go in within this holy uh, place and he'd sprinkle blood upon that altar of incense. You see that tall piece of furniture there, that little square right before that second veil? Okay, as you look at it, he would sanctify that uh, once a year and make atonement upon it once a year with the blood from that brazen altar out there of the sin offering. Now, that brazen altar represents the cross of Christ, and the sacrifices thereon represent Christ and His sacrifice and the shedding of His blood. And this altar of incense inside, now I'm going to try to give you something. Follow me. That altar of incense is symbolical of prayer. So it's only <clears throat> by virtue and merit of the blood of this brazen altar and the sacrifice thereon that we have our worship acceptable before God. In verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. <clears throat> and Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Now then, our worship and our sacrifice... I mean, our worship and our prayers are most holy to the Lord only by virtue and merit of the blood of what? The brazen altar and the sacrifice of that brazen altar. So that our prayers only can ascend up to God <clears throat> through the merits of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and through the merits of His shed blood. Now, you see a lot of people that say, well... Everybody prays. Well, sure. A lot of people pray. But do you keep in mind as a Christian when you pray that your worship and your prayer is only acceptable because of the fact that Jesus died as a sin offering and He shed His blood in order to open up a way into God's presence and give you the privilege of prayer in the sight of God? Uh, I'm sure that even many people that are unmindful of that fact as Christians. We go ahead and pray, and there are many that pray not knowing that it's only through the merits of Christ that their prayers are sending up to God, and that it's acceptable before God. This altar of incense, then, was a way of approaching God in prayer. Uh, it, was a, it was only for the priests. But you and I in the New Testament are all priests unto God. So, just as Aaron would approach this altar of incense in behalf of all the, the children of Israel, and his prayers were sanctified or acceptable uh, as he offered incense upon this altar because of the blood of that sin offering. 
So you and I come into the presence of the Lord because we are priests, New Testament priests, in our own right, and our prayers are acceptable in the sight of God. Remember, it was stained once a year with the blood of atonement. And do you know it's a symbol of our prayers? Revelation 5. Let me give you Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to this. Revelation 5, verse 8. Even in heaven, we're going to see. It says, And when he had taken the book, of uh, the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Now look. This is the four and twenty elders. Having every one of them harps and golden vials or bowls full of odors or incense. And... And it says, which are the prayers of saints. You see, even in glory, you're going to see these uh, symbols uh, as the redeemed are there in the presence of the Lord. It says, and, a golden, uh, and golden vials full of odors, and the word means incense, uh, which are the prayers of saints. So we find that uh, as we study this, Altar of incense back in the Old Testament. You know, of all things of sound and sense that ascend heavenward, nothing is more acceptable to God through the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ than prayer. God accepts our prayer. It's a, it's a form, a part of our worship. And it's made possible only through the sacrifice of Christ. And we as New Testament priests, let me give you something to show you that we are priests in our own right. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, it says in verse 9, talking about believers, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Believers. Verse 7 says, And do you therefore which believe? Verse 9 says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him, uh, who, who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the virtues or praises means actually virtues. So we're privileged as New Testament priests. And every believer, listen, is a priest in his own right. We have a great high priest, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 4, who is Jesus, the Son of God, seated on the right hand of God, who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, we're bidden because of Him to come boldly to God's throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, but we have the privilege of going into the very presence of God as in, in a priestly fashion ourselves with our own requests before God. And this is made possible because of, of Christ's shed blood. Hebrews chapter 10, quickly. Hebrews 10, uh, verse 19. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You see, this the, the word holiest uh, points you back to this tabernacle. And having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the Israelites didn't go in there individually. They went in there represented by the priest. But you and I go in directly. And we have, we have a great high priest 
that is overall, and that's Jesus, the Son of God. But we don't have to to go in uh, without being accepted. We have the assurance that we'll be accepted. <clears throat> if you look at verse 9 again, it says, You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice. It was not the altar of burnt sacrifice. You have verse 9? Exodus 30, verse 9. Always hold your place. We've said this time and again when we're studying. Always hold your place where we're studying. In the book of Exodus. Okay? Verse 9, you shall offer no strange incense. Prayer is to be as God's word has directed us to pray. Jesus said, let us not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Right? It's to be as directed. Uh, John says, if we shall ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Paul said in the book of Romans that we, uh, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Prayer is a spiritual exercise. And it has to come from God. You know, a lot of times we pray and we pray in the flesh. But we need to pray in the Spirit. He says, all, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. No strange fire and no strange... Uh, <clears throat> incense means that it must be God's fire that kindles our our um, ability to worship. By the way, this fire that was burning on this altar of incense was was a fire that was taken from this brazen altar out here in the front, and therefore it was God's fire, and therefore it was connected with the sacrifice of that brazen altar out in the front there in the court where you find the brazen altar. The fire, if you want the proof of that, Leviticus 16, verses 12 and 13. That's where it came from. It must be kindled. The fire of our prayer must be kindled from on high. It must be truly sincere. It must not come from a built-up emotional stir of the flesh. You and I... Uh, there's a lot of people try to work themselves up into an emotional uh, fervor, a fleshly, natural fervor in order to pray. It's true that we should have a, a special, the, the sincere, earnest, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, but that is kindled by the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's not kindled by fleshly things and emotional stirs. You see, there's a great deal of difference. Everything that we have to do here uh, has to be uh, in a spiritual thing. We are not to work on the natural man to aid in him in spiritual worship. You know, you go out here and work on the natural man, the person that's not saved, not born again, not a Christian, and you say, I want to get this fellow to worship God. You're just <laughs> fighting against the tide for him because he's not going to worship God until he has a new nature and a change of heart, and a change inside him. And he's a new creature in Christ Jesus, and he's a Christian, he's a child of God. And that worship will be kindled from within by God's Holy Spirit. Alright? That is the the uh, altar of incense. Now, there is much more that could be said about it, but let's uh, look on down. You have Exodus chapter 30. <clears throat> now, we've already studied this next section, which is verses 11 through through uh, 16, and it has to do with the 
uh, ransom for each and every one, a half shekel of the sanctuary, and it was uh, a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. And in verse 15 it says, The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half shekel when they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. So God's value of atonement is the same for everyone, isn't it? For rich and poor alike. doesn't change. And here it was the half shekel of the sanctuary. And remember, this silver shekel, this redemption money, became a part, and we've already studied it, it, be- it became a part of this tabernacle. And this was what the material that was used to make the sockets of silver of 90 pound weight under each under the boards. Remember they had uh, silver sockets with two mortise places in it where the boards with two tenons would, would set in each socket of silver. And it would hold the boards upright of the tabernacle. So that you might say that this redemption money went for what? Went for the foundation of this tabernacle, this building. And there's other things we've already taught this. But what you need to see is that in the New Testament, Peter says in the first chapter of 1 Peter, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed, now listen carefully, with silver and gold, see the redemption money ours, but with the precious blood of Christ. See, you were not redeemed with silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. And the word precious there in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 18 along there, means costly. Now, we know we use the word precious as a term of endearment, you know, close or very precious to me. But there it's talking about that the redemption price that Christ paid was far more valuable than all the silver and gold. And you're not redeemed with silver and gold, with the costly blood, the the immeasurable amount or value of the blood of Christ. And so it's stressing that point of it. I believe it's important to point it out, even though we know that unto you, therefore, that believe he is precious, there he is dear, but he's also very valuable unto us in that sense. All right, anyway, that's the redemption money. Now pick up with verse 18. You have it? Exodus 30, verse 18. Here's the brazen labor. Remember we pointed out earlier, now we've talked to you about the altar of incense. Inside, that little square looks like this pulpit. How many of you see it in that in the picture? The little square right before you get to the second veil there. Okay. Uh, now we're right out again back in the middle of the court there where you have this round uh, labor. And uh, this is... Uh, a labor of brass, and we'll read about it and then come back and tell you some things about it. <clears throat> it says in verse 18, Thou shalt also make a labor of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And that's exactly where you see it on your picture, isn't it? Between the tabernacle and the altar. Between that brazen altar out here at the front and between the tabernacle where you have the all the furniture and the, and the coverings and the veils and all that. It's right in the middle, isn't it? It says, Thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they uh, go into the 
tabernacle of the congregation. Uh, They shall wash with water that they die not, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they uh, shall wash their hands and their feet, and they that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. So this was a place where the priests were to wash their hands and their feet. By the way, the hands speak of service, and the feet speak of their walk. So they had to be cleansed as far as the service of God was concerned, and they had to have a clean walk. And by the way, if you turn back to the 29th chapter that we didn't read and study in particular, in verse 20, we find uh, verse 19 and 20. You have the 29th chapter. We talk about their hands and their feet here, but we want to talk about a, a specific part. If you have chapter 29 now, look at verse 19 and 20. It says, And thou shalt take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons, here's the, the priests again, uh, shall put their hands upon the head of the ram. Then shalt thou kill the ram and take the blood of uh, take it of his blood and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron and upon the tip of it uh, and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons and upon the thumb of their right hand and upon the great toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. Now here, by the blood, this ram of consecration is kind of akin to what we're talking about washing in the labor. They had to be sanctified. They had to be set apart. And so this blood was placed upon their ear and upon their right thumb and upon their right toe. And it was not only their, their hand, this, this right thumb speak of, speaks of serving again, or the hands, as the hands speak of serving, and the right toe, uh, the great toe of their right foot, speaks of walking as well. But what about the one, that on their ear? That's hearing and hearing represents their obedience to all the things of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's by hearing what God tells us to do that we know what to do. And so the priest heard what God said. They cleansed themselves to serve God, and they walked in in order to... Their walk was purified as well. Not only by water later in the labor that we're speaking of in the, in the 30th chapter, but by blood. They were consecrated in the 29th chapter. So in the 30th chapter now, look again. We're talking about the priests. They had, a, they had a place to wash their hands and their feet before they went in. And believers are all priests, and therefore we have need of a daily cleansing, do we not? To enter into the presence of God and to enter into that place of worship before God. We have to have daily cleansing in order to really truly worship God. By the way, did you know this brazen laver out here? It was made of brass, of course, and it had water in it. And since it was a place of washing, uh, we find also that a part of it was, uh, that all of it was made from something that represented how we're to look into God's Word. Now, in Exodus 38, verse 8, it says, And he made the laver of brass, and the foot of it, that's what we just read in the 30th chapter. Let me read this for you now. In Exodus 38, verse 8, it says, He made the labor of brass and the foot of it brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, 
which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Where did this brass come from and what was it for? It was made of the looking glasses. In other words, this was a mirror. Material that was taken from the mirrors of the ladies. Now then, uh, this labor speaks of the mirror of God's Word that we're to look into and then we're to wash and be cleansed by the Word. If you turn to the book of James, let me give you something. The book of James, chapter 1. Let me read a couple of verses for you. It says in verse 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in the glass, in the mirror. Look at this. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh, now here you're looking into the mirror, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, in other words, if you're looking into God's Word, it says, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So when you look into the pure Word of God, you see yourself, you see all your faults and failures, your sins and shortcomings, and you see that need of cleansing. Uh, and then you're cleansed by the water that's in that Word of God. Let, we'll get into that in a moment. But let, let, let me try to get the picture for you again that James gives us. It says, If a man goes and beholds his natural face in the glass or mirror, you see a smudge on there, you see dirt on there, you see something you need to wash off, you see that you need some attention, and you just go your way and forget what manner of man you are. That's not very wise, is it? But he says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and then he sees the problem, and he fixes that problem. He's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. So we look into God's Word. The Bible says, Wherewith, listen carefully, shall a young man cleanse his way? He sees his face is dirty. We're just using this to illustrate Wherewith shall he cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's what it says in the Psalms. That's how you're going to be cleansed. In other words, the water represents the cleansing power of the word of God. And so you and I need constant cleansing in order to approach God's presence in worship. Now then, the priests were were safe. Their sins were forgiven. The sins of the children of Israel were forgiven by the blood of that brazen altar. But in order to enter into the the place of worship, they had to cleanse themselves before they came into the tabernacle. They had to wash their hands and feet. They had to purify and cleanse themselves. Let me give you something. Right here now, look at that little round thing in the middle of the picture. That prepared you by washing in that brazen labor, the water that's in there, that prepared you and fits you to go in to the place of worship. I was talking to Brother Randy about this the other day. We get to talking about some of the things that we're teaching in the tabernacle and various other points of the message. People don't come to church to get cleansed. They cleanse themselves and then they want to come to church. They want to go in and worship God. You know, we've kind of got this thing backwards. You say, come to the house of God and get right with God. 
the very fact that you come to the house of God indicates to me that you already got right on the outside and wanted to come to church. It indicates to me that you have done something in order to be able to want to be here already. And so we always talk about preparing for worship of God. This is the preparation, the cleansing of the Christian takes place and then he comes into the place of worship. The house of prayer. And I know that there's a lot of people who have neglected that preparation. They come in, maybe they need cleansing when they come in. But on the other hand, the general rule of the thumb is that most people, you get people coming to church, most of them confess their sins at home in their bedrooms or in their closet on their knees and they've already cleansed their hearts before God and they say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And they say, I need to get the house of God. They come down here, they want to worship God. And that's the natural uh, condition of uh, and uh, progress of Christians. Uh, I'm sure that most of you uh, have prayed and confessed your sins and have wanted to come here in order to worship God. And if you did, you made preparation before you got here. It's not that I've got to get you here and say, now look, I've got to get you all cleansed from your sins. I don't have to do that. I know you probably wouldn't be here otherwise. You know, sin separates from God. A lot of people won't come to church because they are sinners and they haven't confessed sin. The backslider won't come to church and say, feel comfortable because he knows he needs to confess his sins and then return to the house of God. Isn't that true? The, the Christian that's backslidden, he doesn't want to come to the house of God. Why doesn't he want to come to the house of God? Because he knows that he should confess his sins and then return to God. And worship God. And so uh, that uh, holds true as far as uh, most Christians are concerned. I don't say that it's an ironclad rule, but it's basically the principle of things. I want you to see something else, too. The Bible teaches in many passages, in many verses of Scripture, that the Word of God is, uh, that is given to us for cleansing. Ephesians 5, let me give you this quickly. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Six. Well, we read uh, verse 24 through 26. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, you have Ephesians 5, verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now look, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. You see, the Word of God has that cleansing effect. We quoted Psalm 119 where it says, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy Word. And so the Word of God there is for cleansing, isn't it? Uh, Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of what? Regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So there's a cleansing that takes place when we're saved. And then we find that in John 15, verse 3. Let me give you this. John, the 15th chapter, and verse 3. Jesus said this, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. He says, You're cleansed through what? The word that I have spoken unto you. Uh, remember in the 13th chapter, when... Uh, he laid aside his garments and would wash the disciples' feet. Let me read it for you. In uh, 
John 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. I like that. He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. He took on the attire of a servant. Now look, this is what Jesus did. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. He didn't wash them all over, but he washed their feet. And to wipe them with a towel wherewith he's girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. In other words, there had to be a cleansing. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Peter goes overboard, doesn't he? He says, Oh, I want to be, I want to have a part with you, and I want completely cleansed all over. Now look, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed, Peter was already clean, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. And he was referring to Judas Iscariot, of course, who was not clean. But he says, uh, He that is washed, let me try to put it this way. If you're saved and cleansed by the blood of Christ, that's one thing. But as you walk, your feet become contaminated. Remember the in, in those days, the many wore sandals, some went barefoot, and some wore shoes. But usually sandal-equipped uh, uh, sandal, uh, people would get their feet dirty as well as those that went barefoot. But even with sandals, you had to cleanse your feet and wash your feet. And you and I are living in a world where we need daily cleansing. That's why we're taught in the Bible to confess our sins. That's why we need daily cleansing before the Lord. And so the, this is typical of the Word of God. Now let me give you one more lesson if we have time. And I think we do. Uh, so the brazen labor is symbolical of the Word of God uh, that we're to cleanse ourselves in. <clears throat> a symbol of spiritual cleansing. And it was necessary. The hands and the feet, type of the Christian service and the Christian walk, needs to be cleansed. If we're going to serve God, be ye clean that, that uh, bear the vessels of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, and to walk in the light, and to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now then, the last lesson in this uh, 30th chapter has to do with the holy anointing oil. I want you to look at this. Beginning with verse 22. Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... Now, you have Exodus 30, verse 22. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, five hundred shekels, and of sweet cinnamon half so much, even two hundred and fifty shekels, and of sweet calmus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, and hen, that's a measurement of, of uh, olive oil, and thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment. Verse 
25 now. Thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compounded after the art of the apothecary. Uh, it shall be an holy anointing oil. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all his vessels, and the candlestick, and his vessels, and the altar of incense. In other words, everything had to be sanctified or anointed with this oil. It says, And the altar of burnt offering with all his vessels, and the labor, and his foot. And thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office, and thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy, it shall be holy unto you. Whosoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth uh, any of uh, it upon a stranger shall even be cut off from his people. Their prohibitions. This holy anointing oil is typical of the Holy Spirit. And it was to be used for no other purpose than what was designated. It was anoint the tabernacle and the furniture and the consecration of the priests. And all of these things were uh, to be purified by this holy anointing, holy anointing oil. And it was to be made exactly like God said it had to be made. If you'll notice, it says in verse 32, Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. Not upon flesh. It says, You shall not compound any like it. Neither shall you make any other like it. After the composition of it. Man in the flesh has not the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the graces of the Holy Spirit can never be connected with man's flesh. It has to be from God. The graces of God's Spirit are spiritual and they come from God. And this flesh of ours has very little or nothing, I should say, to do with it. None, not one, of the fruits of the Spirit has ever yet produced in nature's soil. The Bible teaches that we must be born again. And it says we're not to make any like it. There's no to, not to be any imitation. Look at that, verse 32. Neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it. No imitation for the Holy Spirit. No strange... By the way, there are three things. There's to be no strange altar. That's Exodus 20, verse 25. And no strange fire. That's Leviticus 10, verse 1 and 2. And no strange oil. This is the verse we're talking about. Uh, Exodus 30, and verse... 32 that we just read. The Word of God condemns any imitation in divine worship or of the Holy Spirit's operations. The Word of God condemns any attempt to, to uh, make anything like or to imitate the working of the Holy Spirit. You ever seen some of these uh, television preachers? I've seen a lot of them say, Well, the Holy Spirit told me this, and the Holy Spirit uh, caused me to do that. I wonder about that sometimes, you know. I really wonder. Because they're saying a lot of things I'd be just afraid to say. If you say the Holy Spirit told you to do something, you better be sure the Holy Spirit told you to do something. And not just something you dreamed up. Or not just some fantasy of the 
fleshly mind, as uh, Paul says, something uh, conjured up by their fleshly mind. Some, some idea that just flew across your head. You know, there's a lot of things that fly across the mind of our fancies that are not the Holy Spirit. It's our own spirit and it's our own moving and it's our own fancies. But when you have the Holy Spirit at work, you want to make sure it is the Holy Spirit. And there's no indication that we should ever uh, try to imitate the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a heinous sin to imitate the action of the Spirit. And by the way, it's judgment. It says, whosoever tries to come